Good morning, everyone. My name is John Moriarty, if you don't know, and I'm very happy to be preaching to you uh, today. It's my first time preaching in Calvary Cork, so do take it easy on me. Um, just a note, um, we have the scripture journals at the back. If you want to take one, they're just at the back, um, and you can make notes because we're going through a series of the book of Colossians at the moment, so we'll be doing this for the next uh, six Sundays. So um, if you want to take uh, one, they're at the back there, and you can uh, leave a donation to cover costs as well, if that's okay. So um, welcome, everyone. How's it going? <laughs> it's a bit different being up here than sitting down there. Okay. So in 2010, I was traveling to Mongolia by car, as one does. Two friends of mine joined me on something known as the Mongol Rally a charity drive of 12,000 kilometers using just an ordinary, everyday car. On the trip, there were plenty of land border crossings with plenty interesting encounters with border guards. I remember many of the border guards enjoyed my surname, Moriarty, especially in former Soviet countries. The reason this was so is because in the 1970s, there had been a Russian language version of Sherlock Holmes that was very popular. And many of these border guards had grown up with, so they were quite amazed to come across a real life Moriarty. <laughs> they were amused by my name, but were a bit bemused by the image in my passport. Cue embarrassing photo of John. So the guy on the left, that is me also many years ago. So the picture on the left was what was in my passport, and the picture of the, on the right was what I looked at the time. The one on the left represented something different, a previous me. The one on the right was what I looked at at the time. They were trying to connect this name Moriarty with a long-haired fellow on the passport and the shaved-headed fella standing in front of them. Well, you'll be happy to know that I made it safely to Mongolia. So a name can conjure up an idea of someone. An image brings you closer to reality. But only be, by being in their presence will you experience the real thing. In the next few minutes, we'll be looking at what the Bible tells us about how Jesus is the image of the invisible God and what it means to us today. Let us pray. Lord God, I thank you for your presence with us here today. I ask you to open our ears, open our minds, open our hearts to your word, Lord. Let me be a vessel for your word, Lord God. In your name we pray. Amen. So we are continuing on our series on Colossians, titled All of Christ for All of Life. Today, we will be looking at chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Now, verses 15 to 20, they are widely believed to be a poem or a hymn. This poem looks like it is divided into two parts, two stanzas. The first being verses 15 to 17, and the second, verses 18 to 20. The first part, the first stanza, tells us that Jesus Christ is head over all of creation, both visible and invisible, while the second part shows us that Christ is also the head over the new creation, in him being the head of the church and also the members within. 
So firstly, Jesus is first over all creation. Let's look at verse 15. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Paul really dives straight into it here and the message that he wants to convey to the Colossians. To start with, the he which we are talking about here is Jesus. We have seen him mentioned previously in verse 13 as the beloved son. So we know the subject of the sentence, who we are talking about, but there are some words that we need to unpack, unpack so we fully understand what is being said to us. The first word I would like to discuss is image. And you've already heard from my story, an example of image. What do we understand by image? So image to us is a representation of the external form of a person or thing. The Greek word that was used in verse 15 is E-I-K-O-N, where we get the word icon from. Now, during the late 19th and early 20th century, many Irish people immigrated to America. As they approached New York by boat, they saw the Statue of Liberty. What is the Statue of Liberty? The Statue of Liberty represents freedom and liberty. It is the image, the icon, the representation of something that is invisible. So using this word image can give us the idea that Jesus merely reflects God like a mirror or that he is a representation of God. Yes, he is both of these things, but also Jesus is God. In the person of Christ, God has made himself visible to mortal eyes. If we go to a restaurant and we look at a menu, we don't eat the menu and satisfy our hunger. The menu shows us an image of what we expect to receive when we order. We eat the food to be satisfied. Yes, Jesus is the image of God, but unlike the menu, when we approach Jesus, when we have a relationship with him, we can be 100% satisfied. Because we see and we are in relationship with the real thing. Having a relationship with Jesus is having a relationship with God. We will see in verse 19 where it's written, the fullness of God is dwelling in him. So we have Paul writing to the Colossians here, advising that he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. But what does Jesus say about this? If we turn to John 14, verses 7 to 11. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Warren Wiersbe says the following, Nature reveals the existence, power, and wisdom of God, but nature cannot reveal the very essence of God to us. 
It is only in Jesus Christ that the invisible God is revealed perfectly, since no mere creature can perfectly reveal God. Jesus Christ must be God. So we have Jesus as the image of the invisible God, and then Paul tells us that Jesus is also the firstborn of all creation. Now, the firstborn of all creation. The use of the word firstborn here has caused many issues to people, as it has been twisted to mean something that is not being said here. This started in the early church. People battled with Arius in the 325 AD on this meaning, and it continues today with cults such as Jehovah Witnesses, the use of firstborn here has been misused to strip Jesus of his full divinity. This verse has been used to state that Jesus was a created being and not fully God, not the creator. So what are we to understand by the term firstborn? What firstborn means is being of first importance, being of first rank. Firstborn is a title given to a person and not talking about the order of birth. There are 130 examples of the use of the word firstborn in the Old Testament, so it is very important that we understand what it means and how it is relevant to Jesus. In Psalm 89:27, we see David talking about Solomon, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Solomon was not the firstborn child of David, but received that title, he received that rank. Another example is Jacob and Esau. Esau was the firstborn, firstborn in order, but he sold his birthright, his status of being firstborn. What did he sell it for? He sold it for a bowl of stew. It must have been a very good bowl of stew. So firstborn of all creation means that Jesus has rank above and over all creation, and that he is before creation. Before anything else came into existence, Jesus existed. He was not created. He was. Jesus alludes to this fact many times in the gospel. There are seven I am statements. That is all he has to say. Before Abraham was, I am. So looking at verse 15 in the NLT, the New, Liv the New Living Translation, it gives us a very straight understanding of the verse. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. So hopefully I've shown you how Jesus is first over all creation. Now let's look at how Jesus is above all creation. We have just celebrated Christmas and the world for the most part joins us in and understands that Christmas is about the birth of Jesus. Even as Christians, we place, Chris, we place Jesus in the manger. We sing songs about the king coming to earth. This is, of course, true, but we can often then just have Jesus appearing at Christmas. This idea that around 0 BC, Jesus came on the scene. But where was Jesus before this? What does it say in the Bible? Verse 16 says the following, By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions 
our rulers, our authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So we have three key phrases here in verse 16 relating to Jesus and creation. We have by him, through him, and for him. So by him all things were created, through him all things were created, for him all things were created. So if in Colossians we see Paul talking about Jesus and creation, then we should also see Jesus in creation. Let's go back to the start. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the world. This is a very familiar passage to all of us. Now, Genesis 1 tells us, in the beginning, God created. The word God here in Hebrew is Elohim, which is plural. And this is giving us a hint of the Trinity. Right in the very first verses of the Bible, the very first words point to Jesus. Now, we see it in Genesis 1.1, but where also do we see the words in the beginning? John uses them. In John 1.1, he uses exact, the exact same language. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14 of the same chapter, John continues to say, the Word became flesh. So we see Jesus taking on a human body. So Genesis tells us that God was there at the beginning and created all things. John tells us Jesus, the Word, was with God at creation, and not only that he was with God, but he was God. In Colossians, Paul tells us that by him, through him, and for him, all things were created. Romans 11.36 says the following, For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. So Jesus is first over all creation. Jesus is also above all creation. And Jesus is sustaining all creation. Let's look how he is sustaining all creation. Verse 17, And he is before all things, and in, all, in him all things hold together. So before creation, before matter, before time, Jesus was. There is a belief known as deism, and this basic belief in deism is that God exists, God created the world, but beyond that, God has no active engagement in the world around us or active engagement with us. He is a hands-off approach to his creation. I'm glad to say we at Calvary Cork are not deists. In the Calvary Cork Statement of Faith, one line reads, He is creator and sustainer of all there is. We don't even only believe that God created all things, but also that he sustains all things. We see this in the latter half of verse 17. And, and, and in him, all things hold together. He is sustaining all things. He didn't decide after creation to be hands-off. Everything is being sustained, held together by him. As you sit here today, you are being sustained by Jesus. Isn't that powerful, guys? Every breath, we talked about the breath in our lungs, our heart pumping, every part of our being is being sustained by Jesus. 
If you were to add up all creation, the earth, the stars, planets, and galaxies that can be seen by us today, it only makes up about 5% of what is out there. The other 95% is invisible. How small are we? It cannot be seen, detected, or even comprehended by scientists. It is made up of what they call dark matter or dark energy. The astrophysicist Adam Becker said the following, dark is a label we put on things for our ignorance. We know that there is something out there. We don't know what it is. We are trying to learn the properties of these things. It is hard because we can't see them directly, but we can see the effects that they have on the things around them. Jesus is not only holding together what is seen to us, but what is unseen to us. We find it difficult to hold our lives together. Jesus is holding the whole world together. Now this poem has two parts, two stanzas. The first was all about creation, and from it we have learned that Jesus is first over all creation. Jesus is above all creation, and Jesus is sustaining all creation. Let's look at the second part. So firstly, Jesus is the head of the church. Verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He is the head of the body, the church. The dominion of the Lord not only covers the natural universe, as we have seen, but also the spiritual realm. We are his church. We are part of the body. But we need guidance. We need control. We need someone to dictate to us, and that is the head. Some other words that can be used here are source, origin, leader, ruler. The church has its origin in Jesus and its operation in him. A religious leader on earth may be the founder of a church or denomination, but there is only one head of the church, and that is Jesus. It's great to have such great leadership at Calvary Cork. We have great leaders in all the different ministries. We have great leaders, great elders, and a great pastor, but we should not look to them. Mike is currently away in the States. Are we headless as a church? No, we are not. We are not to look to man as there is only one head, and that is Jesus. We need to cover our leaders, our pastor, in prayer, as they are as fallible as us. But we can always put our trust, our faith, in Jesus, as human leaders will ultimately disappoint. The one who will never disappoint is Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The head of Calvary, the head of the church, who should be guiding the church? Only one, and that is Jesus. So Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is also the redeemer of the people. Continuing on in verse 18, it says, He is the beginning, firstborn from the dead. Now we saw in verse 15 where it said that he is firstborn of all creation. So what does Paul mean by firstborn of the dead? Others rose from the dead before he did, but he is the firstborn in that he is never to die again. Those that were raised from the dead before died again, 
but his resurrection is unto eternal life. He is the firstborn from the dead, showing us that a resurrection is to come also for us in him. In Revelation 1.18, Jesus says, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Possessing the keys of death means that the risen Christ has control and authority over death. Isn't this good news to us? We believe in the one who has supreme control and authority over debt, and in him we can also be resurrected to eternal life. Amen. In everything, he might be preeminent. The purpose of God and the plan of God that is in everything, Jesus has preeminence. All things, again, includes you. It includes me. So the question is, does Christ reign preeminently in your life? Does he have the preeminence? You see, that's the purpose and the plan of God for Jesus Christ, that he has the place of preeminence in each of our lives, that he is above everything else in our lives, and that nothing supersedes the place of Jesus in our lives. In everything, he might be preeminent. Now, the first few times I read this section of verse 18, I didn't pay much heed to it. I accepted it, but always associated it that Jesus had the preeminence of creation. Creation being the world, but never brought it down to him having preeminence in my life him having preeminence over me. I think this is the most difficult part. It is easier to have Jesus as the Lord over all than the Lord over me. It is easier to have Jesus as the Lord of all than the Lord of me. It is easier to have Jesus as the first in all things outside of me rather than being the first in me. Preeminence means before everything else. All of Christ for all of life. That is the title of this sermon series. Are we preaching? Are we believing all of Christ for every part of our lives? Is Jesus preeminent in my life or is he just prominent? This is a very tough question and something that we should be asking ourselves. But what is the difference between preeminence and prominence? Something that is prominent is something important. It stands out in our lives, but there can be many prominent things in our lives. Whether it is your job that defines you, your status within the community, the hobby that takes your time and thoughts, even your position in the church, your ministry, these can be all prominent. These can be prominent as well as Jesus but we are not being asked to make Jesus just one among many facets in our lives. We are told that he needs to be preeminent, which means he needs to be above every other thing in our lives. The scripture says that in everything he might be preeminent, all of Christ for all of life. Everything that you do, every problem you face, every trial you come across, every sin that you are dealing with, Turn to Jesus first. Turn to him in your waking hour, 
not just to be there when things go wrong or when you haven't been able to do something in your own strength, but turn to him and put him first in all things in your life. The God who is preeminent in the universe also needs to be preeminent in your universe. Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Christ is himself the fullness of God. Jesus is not a halfway house. He is not part of God. He doesn't just have some of the characteristics of God. He is the fullness of God. Continuing on to verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I think we all know that creation is broken. Creation is what we see all around us and what we ourselves are. We are part of creation. The world we see around us is broken and we ourselves are also broken. In verse 20, Paul is writing about how that things both earthly and in the heavens need to be reconciled with God. In a moment, we will be looking at verse 22. We will see how we also are broken and need to be reconciled with God. To reconcile means to restore to a right relationship. There was a time when that relationship between creation and God was right, but it no longer is. It is not God who created enmity in that relationship, but it was his creation, us. While creation created this division, in our own strengths, we are not able to reconcile. The only way reconciliation can occur is by the blood of his cross. I really like the language here. We often read about Jesus going and dying on the cross, but here we see it written by the blood of his cross. He has authority over the cross. In John 10, 17 to 18, Jesus says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to lay it up, take it up again. This command I received from my father. Jesus went to his cross with full authority over death. Having this full authority over death allowed him to lay it down on the cross and take his life back up again in his resurrection. So Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the redeemer of the people. And Jesus is the Lord of you. Verses 21 and 22. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. We are not presented holy and blameless by our own works. No. The only way we can be presented holy and blameless is by his death. The death of the firstborn of all creation happened for you. It happened for me. 
The Word became flesh. The King became a servant. The mighty lion, creator of the universe, became a baby. The rich king became poor and was born in a manger. All this is to live a blameless, spotless life, to be hung on a cross so as to reconcile me, reconcile you before himself. And it is done. Amen. It is finished. We don't have to do anything, guys. Just accept what he has done on the cross. The work has been finished. Paul says, he has now reconciled, showing that it is completed in the past. So knowing what has been done by Jesus on the cross, what are we to do? Paul finished this section with a warning to the Colossians. This warning can also be to Calvary Cork on the 16th of January, 2022. Verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. In Paul's time, there were plenty of other gospels for people to shift to, like there is today. Nothing has changed. Today, there are plenty of gospels for us to be distracted by. The gospel of money, the gospel of me, myself, and I, for I can do everything in my own strengths. The gospel of pride, I am who I am, and in all my sin, I should be proud. The gospel of Jesus was a good man, but that is all. Not giving Jesus the proper place is not following him. As Paul says, continue in the faith, Calvary Cork, be steadfast, be firm, unwavering, loyal, devoted. Imagine if when the people of Cork talked about members of Calvary, they said they are devoted, they are loyal, they are unwavering in their faith, in their love of Christ. So what can we say from what we have looked at today? We can say, firstly, Jesus is over all creation. He is also above all creation. He is sustaining all creation. Jesus is the head of the church, the redeemer of the people, and Jesus is Lord of you. Now, there is a new game that has become very popular on the internet in the last few weeks. I wonder, has anyone played the game Wordle? Does anyone know of it? One person, two people, three. Okay, some people know Wordle. I'll explain to you what Wordle is. So to play the game, you have six chances to guess a five-letter word. Each guess tells you which letters are in the word and which letters are also in the correct place. You only win once you have all the letters in their correct places spelling the word. A very simple game, but without having things in their correct place, you don't succeed, you don't win. In a similar way, we need to have Jesus in his correct place. It is not that he doesn't know his place. Yes, he does. He is God, the creator of all, the sustainer of all, the savior, the redeemer. 
He is preeminent in all things, but we have to have him preeminent in our lives to give him the glory he deserves. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, I thank you for being with me this morning and being with our congregation, Lord God, as we heard from you. Open our ears, open our heart, open our minds as we continue this week, Lord God, as we think back on what has been said this morning. In your name we pray. So thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope it went okay. And I hope this sermon blessed you as much as it has me in its preparation. Emma and the band, they're going to lead us in worship. And please spend this time reflecting on what has been said here this morning. If Jesus is just prominent and not preeminent in your life, let today be the day that changes. If you don't know who Jesus is this morning, call out to him and accept him as your Lord and Savior. Thank you.